We take care of each other behind the scenes, and we take care of the story, and uh, we want to take care of our readers. The most important thing about it is our backstory. Like right. that's, it's, it's not just about the Italian lesson. It's about these friendships. Today's episode of The Active Voice is guest hosted by Sarah Fay, creative writing professor at Northwestern University, former interviewer at the Paris Review, devoted serializer, and self-proclaimed lover of all things Substack. Her Substack Writers at Work, among other things, teaches writers how to serialize their writing on this very platform. In this conversation, she speaks to three Substack writers and friends who turned a crazy little idea into one of the most fun and successful online serialization projects. You may recognize their names. E. Jean Carroll, Mary Trump, and Jen Taub launched Backstory Serial in June and have been serializing on it a romance called The Italian Lesson. Between juicy installments that make the story come to life for the readers with recipes, fun facts, and interactive activities such as a knit-along, Incredibly, they have found a way for readers to hop on their narrative at any time without feeling they've much catching up to do. They talk with Sarah about the origins of this project, their technique, and the powerful friendship that inspired their creative collaboration. Welcome to The Active Voice. I am Sofia Ximiatu, Head of Writer Relations here at Substack. And here are Sarah Fay, Eugene Carroll, Jen Taub, and Mary Trump. Thank you so much for being with me today on The Active Voice. It's such a pleasure to have you three amazing women here. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. So I wanted to open with this idea that I have that the press and many people are underestimating your credentials and training as novelists and narrative writers. So everyone's sort of acting like, oh my gosh, these three women are writing this novel. These three women, what are they doing? But here's my um, sort of, I think, what a lot of people don't know about you. So Jen, you have a BA in English from Yale. Yeah, true. Not, not too stodgy there. And your book, Big Dirty Money, defines and reports on corruption, but it also tells these stories of corruption. So it's got all this scene setting and characterization. And Eugene, you are a romance novel scholar. Yes, I am. And people do not know this. And your book, What Do We Need Men For?, is this, you know, rollicking narrative nonfiction journey about your journey across America to discover the answer to that question. So it's fully narrative. Um, and then, Mary, you're the sort of icing on the cake, which is you've been writing fiction since you were 12. You majored in English at Tufts. You have an MA in English Lit from Columbia. So my theory is that you all are way more experienced than anyone's giving you credit for. Wow. Sarah, bravo. Oh, Sarah, thanks for raising the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds good on paper. <laughs> Three years ago, if somebody had told me my first two books were going to be nonfiction, I would have laughed. And now, if, uh, you know, five months ago, six months ago, if somebody said your first novel is going to be a romance novel, I probably would have fainted with horror because um, it's just so unlikely. And I think that's part of what people are grappling with, just the the unlikeliness of uh, the endeavor. Yeah. And I just want to add, if you, you know, in some ways it, it would have shocked me too. But when I look back on our friendships together and then individually, you know, we all met via Zoom and um, I think it was you know, mid 2021. 
And then I remember Mary called me and my phone, you know, lights up and it says, I think we, I must have had her number because it said it was Mary Trump. So I picked up the phone and we started talking and we started talking about books we loved. And it was like, wait, you like someone else likes Henry James? Um, I'll forgive her that she likes William Faulkner. I mean, that's every no one can be perfect. <laughs> but even that she, you know, that, you know, you throw out Samuel Richardson and someone knows what you're talking about. So we really bonded in that way. And and the same story is with, with E.G. And I didn't know much about her. I, I didn't know that she'd written an advice column. But then I come to find out that she wrote a biography of Hunter S. Thompson and that her style of journalism is so fun and so was so revolutionary, especially for a woman. And as you as you noted, Sarah, her sort of escapades on the road, uh, kind of a Swiftian, Jack Car- how do you say Kerouacian? I don't know. Wow, <laughs> is that a word? It um, is now. It is now. Like you know, you know, I delight in their words, and that makes sense that we met each other on Twitter. I like the way they wrote, and I know that's a very short form of writing, but it packs a lot of punch, and you learn who people are. And so, to me, it all kind of makes sense in in retrospect. How did you take your relationship off of Twitter? Meaning, like, how did you actually connect on Zoom then? If you were, if that's where you first met, how did that happen? I got a DM from somebody else in our group, and you know. Our, our Zoom group, which still exists, is larger than the three of us, but everybody in it is somebody I had followed on Twitter before anybody knew I existed. Uh, they were all people whose work I admired and was familiar with. So I just got this DM out of nowhere saying, hey, you want to join a knitting group on Zoom? And I was like, well, I know how to knit. And of course, knitting was was not compulsory. Uh, so it just happened. It was just fascinating that suddenly I was part of this group of people whom I'd known by reputation, but never in a million years imagined I would become great friends with. Yeah. Now, Eugene, you are the resident romance scholar. So how did, were you the impetus behind the genre, the novel being a romance novel? <laughs> no. No, it was it was Mary and Jen and a couple of the other group who came up with the idea of writing a Hallmark movie romance. <laughs> That's where it came from. Oh no, 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 no! I get ASCII gene letters for thirty years about love and romance, but it was a Hallmark movie idea. I think <laughs> generated by Jen. No, it was someone who's not here, and oh, I just kind of, right. I just kind of kept joking around about it. You know, we kept right. just texting back and forth right. new ideas, and it was so fun as we embellished this yeah. hypothetical romance, uh, a Hallmark movie story. Yeah, because yeah, it started. I have never seen a Hallmark movie or <laughs> a Lifetime movie or any of those kinds of movies before. Don't really like rom coms, and yet. Like, it's sort of like the royal family. Even if yeah. you have no interest in them, you know huge amounts about them yeah, right. because it just sort of seeps into the culture. Right, it was the same right. thing. So, so like, we sort of knew a lot of the tropes. You know, it had to be uh, Italy and it had to be a cafe and it had to be a prince in disguise and all of that stuff. So uh, luckily, I mean, we did keep some of the, the sort of the basic ideas, but we got rid of the title, which was uh, <laughs> Grounds for Divorce, which still makes me blush 
with embarrassment a little bit. So what made you decide to serialize it? Did that idea come first? Did it come later? You know, we decided, I think, that the, the writing a screenplay was untenable. And I don't even know what what made me, maybe Jen will remember, but I have the foggiest idea what the impetus was for this. I had a bunch of writing projects. I was stuck on all of them. And I just thought, you know what? Instead of a, a screenplay, let's write a romance novel. And since we're all on Substack, let's do it on Substack right. and serialize it. And, you know, we're all familiar with serialization. And and uh, we thought it would be, one, a really cool way to experiment th- with the kinds of community you can create on Substack. But it would also be an interesting experiment in challenging the ways in which we've become a culture of instant gratification. Right. Yeah. Mary came in the back door here. What happened? I mean, she <laughs> I was going to look up one of her emails to find out exactly how this how she actually said, let's serialize it. But it was a uh, um, genius because Mary has discovered in our shattered shimmery world of so much information getting hit with so much we cannot take in large chunks of information mary and jen behind that has figured out how to give just this juicy juicy little tidbit morsel that is so delicious not long not too short just right and is feeding it to our audience who are eating it up. It's just the right time at the right place on Substack with the right readers. It's it's uh, it's thrilling that uh, Mary came up with this and that Jen has been helping her chop up the installments. It's just, you know, I sit back and I'm just I'm enthralled uh, with uh, what they created, really. And it's so interesting because, so Mary's doing the authoring. So, right, Mary, you produce the chapters. And then, Jen, you're the one, as Eugene just said, dividing it up. Well, we also, I mean, I'm a sounding board. And then Mary will give me something that's excellent. And I'll maybe, like, go, you know, the way she'll give me a segment and say, you know, should it end here or this sentence is clunky. Right, Can you right. help? You know, the kind of way you would with a, right, right. an editor or a friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're full the the full time editor who's often unsung. <laughs> well, no, I mean, no, no. Let me just say I should kind of say that the initial idea, Mary's idea was we that, you know, one person would start and the next person would write the next part. Oh, right. Right. And none of us wanted to say, I don't know how I can do that. So we just all kind of found other ways to support. And it actually makes much more sense this way because she, because she, I don't, she has the characters in her head and the world and all of it. And then it took me a while to, you know, I know now the whole plot, even if the pieces aren't written, but there's pieces, this came from Mary's mind. So there's more that is not on paper. I can never invent that. And so that made much more sense than those sort of, you know, chain letter kind of thing. That's right, Jen. I'm so glad you remember that. I forgot that was the initial idea. We dodged that bullet, E.J. Yeah. It's a really skillful serialization. I mean, I'm a serialization geek, obviously. My part of my dissertation was on it. But you have, you know, the real 
sort of pinnacle of serializing a novel, you know you've hit it when you don't need summaries. Yeah. And none, you don't need any summaries in the installments. It opens as a thriller, basically. So we're just completely hooked with that first installment. And the consistency through chapters, and this is, Jen, this is where you must be coming in, which is just maintaining that consistency throughout. And that's very, I mean, what is, astonishes me is the hardest thing, I think, for any kind of narrative writing is pace. And Mary's really good at making sure she keeps the pace going and then later going back and saying, okay, we're putting it like a pin saying, you know, I know a little description, but not too much. Or when we're expanding a section or she decides, you know what, I want to make another section of this chapter. She knows how to break in either to a flashback or a move the story along or a fill in but that will not change that pace. And that's instinctive to her. Kind of like, I know she doesn't knit, but you know, your gauge is instinctive to you. Like there's no way, the reason why this thing I made, this tank top is too wide is because I never measure against what the thing says, but my gauge is never going to change. I'm never going to knit tighter or looser. And I think that's not true. Writing is not as easy to have a steady pace as Mary has. That's brilliant, Jen. I swear to God, you. Jen, you got, that was perfect. There comes the cheerleader. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, where did you pick that up? Where do you think that you integrated that? Um, I have no idea. I, I started reading when I was three and a half and spent many hours every day of my life reading, despite I, the fact that I did other things too. And I started writing, as you mentioned, when I was 12. So I wrote a lot of fiction growing up in college. And then uh, I can't even tell you why I stopped. But what I've learned in doing this is that it is sort of like riding a bike. You know, you can be rusty. And obviously, I've done a lot of writing in the last three or four years. But fiction is is an entirely different animal. And it just comes incredibly naturally to me because story has always been so important. And I, I knew the serialization aspect of it would be a challenge because I like I'm not a short story writer. Like I always like to write longer, longer things. So the idea of having installments that are between a thousand and two thousand words that need to tie together uh, seemed a little daunting, but it is just kind of falling into place. And it's also not the kind of thing one could have learned, because even though I studied Victorian novels and poetry in college, even if I had read Dickinson or Richardson in serialized form, uh, which I did not. They were they were putting out, you know, two, three, four chapters, Dickensian chapters. So, you know, four <laughs> chapters could be uh, 150 pages long. Henry James, four chapters could just be one paragraph. That was... <laughs> Yeah. 150 pages William long. Faulkner, a book could be a sentence. Yes. And if the <laughs> most brilliant sentence ever written in the English language. So uh, I don't know. I think it's it's partially having two great sounding boards who who are able to help me know if I'm on the right track and if I'm hearing it properly. And yeah, that that definitely helps tremendously. And I was a bit, you know, on the continuity piece that I had, Mary does all the pacing and things like that, but I'm someone who's more like, um, because I face this in my nonfiction, if it's a beginning of a new section, you might want to give someone's full name or like you don't assume everyone's going to remember something. Or if she writes that something happened that, you know, at a certain time, 
I'm like, how old would that character have actually been? Because there's that annoying reader like me who's good. It's going to throw them out of the book if it doesn't line up or something. So I can do and, you know, and Mary makes sure like when she's writing so she doesn't have to be distracted. If there's something about the real world that this is laying over, which I don't want to give away too much now, we'll check just to make sure it's accurate, you know, and, and I enjoy I enjoy that aspect of it, too. And Eugene, how much does your I mean, 20 now, what is it, 23 years? It was an L that um, Ask Eugene was an L. So how long have you been doing it now? What is it? It was an L for 27 years. 27. And uh, uh, thank God for Substack. When L fired me, I came over to Substack. And that let's not underestimate what the part Substack is playing in this serialized novel. The community that has rushed to embrace us is only possible because of Substack. And we had the other night, when last Friday night, we, uh, we, Mary posted a question, tell us about yourselves and what do you want to see? They did. And our community started introducing themselves to each other, telling details about their lives, their marriages, their children, what they loved about romance novels, what they didn't like and how their own life. It was thrilling to see how quickly this community has wrapped its arms around us, which I got to say, it's a big help. It's a big help. I mean, we feel like we're being boosted. And also they're nudging, 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 nudging along to get uh, the next installment. Now, it's uh, quite thrilling. I just got to say, thank you, Substack, for this. Really, it's great. Yeah. Well, one thing that's so obvious is, I mean, people have been serializing on Substack for some time, but no one's had Sarah, who had, tell us about that. Inform (laughs) us, tell us, because we really don't know. Oh, so, well, Salman Rushdie. Yes. Gave his, you know, tried his hand at it. Um, Certainly L. Griffin was one of the first to really get attention for it. There's also Chuck Palahniuk. Right. Put green pasture, greener pastures on there. But no one's had the success that you're having. And let me, I, I think it's because, and Jen, you called it three-dimensional. The Italian lesson, you pro, you're providing an experience. And it's incredible. I mean, no one thought to do this. Recipes and knitting patterns. And, you know, you're going to have posts on Italian art and history and language. And again, like you said, you asked for their backstory for pa- backstory cereal. Uh, and it's just amazing. So who came up with the idea of all these kind of other... Mary. It's Mary. Mary. And, you know, this is where, like, I don't want to be too reverent, but, I mean, <laughs> shut up, Mary. Um, no. But, like, you know, she had these ideas. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like, I was thinking, well, maybe that will be too much. Maybe we'll overwhelm them with this world and enthusiasm. And I'm like, no, yeah. like, the minute it started to come to life. I was like, this is the genius of it. I mean, she really has a sense. She is a community builder as a person and in terms of how she built our friendships to, you know, even though she was invited into what this Zoom group and this, um, you know, chat group, you know, the first time we all hung out together physically, Mary has this way of making you feel really at home and seen and real. And I think she's doing the same thing inside of backstory serial for people participating. Yeah. No, uh, Sarah, I actually said, no, no, Mary, that's too much. 
You can't have a recipe <laughs> and a drink recipe. You can't have that too much, too much. But of course, I was absolutely wrong. But Mary, she's almost invisible when it comes to okay okay (laughs) really she's she also hates to be talked about or praised i I think i'm just guessing by the way she's she's uh, cringing right now well mary do you think because it's a reader's dream come true right the book is coming to life so did it come from that you know because you're such a reader or at least were in your younger years of fiction and bringing this world to life of anastasia yeah i mean i still have yeah reading is probably one of my, it's, if not my favorite, certainly one of my top three favorite things to do. And, you know, the ability to lose oneself in that world is one of the great human experiences. But I also, you know, we're living in incredibly challenging times. There are a lot of distractions. We can't, we can't publish two chapters at a time. That's not tenable. You know, I think it is important to space it out. So it just seemed that in order to help people reach that place of belonging and living in the world of, you know, it's, it's, it's world building, right? And it, it's just sort of ways to help people stay engaged, even in between installments. And, you know, especially like I totally screwed up. I, I published an installment. I thought it was fine. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot like the, the cardinal rule. Uh, there, it was all description. There was no story in this particular installment. So that's never going to happen again. But, you know, particularly if I scrub like that, it is important in between. And with the exception of the Italian French martini, which may show up in the book later, everything else that's added to the feature will be something that exists in the book already. So the um, Marocchino meals they have out at restaurants, uh, a certain Isabella's Italian bread recipe or a biscotti or whatever, they will literally be able to follow to the extent that they want, uh, along with what the characters are doing. You know, this was the first time, Sarah, when you mentioned um, it's a reader's dream for a book to come to life, that I was reminded of a movie that I absolutely loved in the 80s or 90s. I know we're, I know that I don't love the filmmaker any longer, but um, Purple Rose of Cairo, oh, which is a Woody Allen movie where a sort of beleaguered, battered spouse ends up jumping into a movie, right? Mm. Uh, or the, no, no, she takes the character, Jeff Daniels, comes off the screen right. and into her life. Right. And then she goes, and this, I, I, and I absolutely, I absolutely loved that idea. And what's different here, I think that makes it even more tactile and exciting is, you know, you're not watching a movie and imagining you're Mia Farrow uh, doing this, but instead when you make the bread that's in the book, it reminds us a bit of what back in the days of COVID, everyone was making the sourdough and then I made this chocolate cake and then, you know, my friend bought a a, 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 hot, a steam mop and I bought a steam, it was so dumb, but like, and I, some of these things I used again, some of the steam mop uh, was a little more difficult to manage. It's a hot steam mop. Have you done that anyway? Wow. Well, anyway, there's no steam mop in there's the no novel. There's no steam mop. There will be no, no one's far. cleaning. No uh, one's like, no. But yeah, but it's the same thing where you, you get to try things out. I had never had a marocchino and I made one the other morning because I felt like if I'm pushing marocchinos, I better make one. <laughs> the other thing that I think is so suited to Substack as a platform, because I help 
writers serialize on Substack. One thing I say to them is it's a totally different platform. We all know it's the most wonderful home to be writing on. Right. But it's also, we forget sometimes that it appears in people's inboxes. Right. Right. It's we're, We think we're writing online, but actually they're reading it in their inbox. Right. And one thing that jumped out at me, Mary, is you said in an email with me that Clarissa was one of your top three favorite novels, which is amazing, by the way. Um, so that's Samuel Richardson's tome, 18th century tome. But it's written, it's epistolary. It's written yeah. in letters. And, yeah. and oh. I feel like the Italian lesson also, because it feels like Anastasia's talking to us. It feels mm-hmm. like every time I get the email, it's like I get an update of her life. Yeah. And and there's no doubt. I, I think I've read Clarissa probably 12 times times or more, I've lost count. And and it's quite, as, as you know, it's quite a challenge because it's about 2,000 pages long. But Richardson creates this just stunningly elaborate, intimate world with very few characters, honestly. And it's the immediacy of the letter writing, uh, which is a sadly lost art that does that. And, you know, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on Clarissa, so I, I didn't just read it, I studied it. And I, I clearly it sunk in clearly because I do want it to feel that Anastasia is speaking directly to the reader, although also for the reader to feel that they're kind of in the same boat with her friend because she's still holding some things uh, close to her vest, uh, you know, so uh, try to have it both ways. <laughs> and we talked a lot about that. You know, how do you you know, we no one really believes in a truly omniscient narrator, but what do you do when you have a you know first person narration as opposed to third person? Also, you know, what about the unreliable narrator and all this stuff? And you know, all of us, you know, it's one thing to be aware of these techniques if you've broken down um, a work of literature before it. It's another thing to be operating inside of it. And so, some of the discussions we'll have as Mary's thinking about, well, how do I deal with this exposition? You know, you know, how do you do that's what the joke about backstory. Like, how do you when do you reveal what you reveal if you reveal it? How through what voice? I mean, you know, that's always sort of probably not like at the top of mind, but it's somewhere in the back of mind, you know, always. I love I hope that you all are inspiring Substack writers to that want to serialize to work with people, because one thing that I'm getting from this conversation is how important it has been for the three of you to be collaborating. Sarah, you have no idea. Uh, I've been ill for the last couple of days and have been on massive antibiotics. And Jen Taub said, if I don't hear from you shortly, I'm getting in the car and driving to your house. And then she drew the map <laughs> of how long it's going to take her to get there. Three hours and 19 yes. minutes. And yeah. By God, she would have done it. I swear to God. Anybody who's known Jen Top for more than an hour knows that she was. <laughs> so we take care of each other behind the scenes and we take care of the story and uh, we want to take care of our readers. It's uh, been a wonderful time. Uh, that we get to spend together. And really, that's why Mary did this, because she wanted her friends, she wanted us all together doing something together during the pandemic. This is what she came up with. Yeah, exactly. And, and honestly, I wouldn't be writing a romance novel by myself. And that's not a diss on romance novels. I've just never read one. So it wouldn't occur to me that that's something I would, you know, I was going to write novels, no offense, Jen, like 
Faulkner or Henry James um, and may still and Jen will never read it. And that's fine. I will. I will. But, you know, romance, the convention is such that I think it opens itself up to doing something more collaboratively. And the most important thing about it is our backstory. Like right. that's it's it's not just about the Italian lesson. It's about these friendships. And it's funny, I I have never been someone who collaborates in writing. I think it's very rare that I've never. ever, ever co-authored, in part because I'm a nightmare to work <laughs> with, because I know how my, you know, I well, may, maybe Mary doesn't think that, but like, I'm very, um, you know, I, I, I want to have the playground in my own mind, right. right? My writing about something, and usually because I'm doing nonfiction, it's unpacking a puzzle and then spinning it out as a narrative. Like my first book on the financial crisis was called Other People's Houses. It's more of a narrative even than um, Big Dirty Money. And this next book I'm writing, it absolutely is. And so for me, that kind of adventure is something I do on my own. And this has been incredible because it's taught me that it actually is fun to collaborate. Or maybe it's only fun to collaborate with Mary and E. Jean. Maybe everyone else would be a, you know awful. But Well, and also, though, Jen, as you pointed out earlier, I don't think it would have worked if we were all writing it because no. we're all we all have very decided opinions. We all have extremely distinct styles. We're incredibly different people. Oh, you know, so I think we we hit on the perfect solution. Yeah. I love that you're bringing, you know, the conversation to romance novels in a way that's been really enlightening. I mean, Colleen Hoover, like the most famous romance novelist of all time, has six books on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, only so, six? Really? We didn't only notice. Six. I mean, no. I never saw, I never like, saw that. No, it was, I've never been to a Barnes and Noble and seen it, a whole book. Never. No, it was, like, it was like eight a couple of weeks ago. So she's I mean, slacking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but she, so obviously it speaks to people. And yeah. I feel like it's so... All, all your substacks speak to people. So, of course, this genre in some ways would. But, E. Jean, I love this quotation from you, how you describe love. It's so beautiful. We as people thumb our noses at romance, but romance is the most important thing in our lives, isn't it? It's getting up in the morning and falling in love with your dog and seeing a beautiful flower. Yeah. We're not going to have the next generation of the human race unless people fall in love and have babies. So we really are writing about the most important thing, not to exaggerate, but the the future of civilization depends on us to write this romance. That is, if we can beat AI, I'm not sure we're neck and neck <laughs> with AI, but it's there's a lot at stake here, a lot at stake. And how Anastasia uh, gets through her romance uh, is going to be very <laughs> instructive to our readers. As you're doing publicity for the serialization, especially when, you know, you've done so much, the Today Show, um, NPR, the New York Times ran a piece too. Do you feel like you're explaining serialization to everyone? <laughs> oh, I, no, I actually don't feel like I am uh, or that we are. I think Maybe we're ex we're explaining Substack more to people because <laughs> you know we make this assumption that of course everybody knows what Substack is and and a lot of people don't. Fair enough. So I think, but those people who are familiar with Substack, I mean, you could all you could look at our projects as serializations in a way. Like we have overarching themes and we have um, through lines and and you know we deviate from them from time to time. But you know this is just more cohesive and. What's the word I'm looking for? It's more disciplined. Yeah. How do you explain Substack to people? 
<laughs> I think that's the, the, the I, question. Yeah. I, I mean, basically, it's uh, the way I describe it is it's a newsletter. And, you know, people have their own websites on this platform called Substack with which they can do whatever they want. And uh, if you become a subscriber, you'll get an email whenever something new is is written and and you can comment and participate. And for a lot of people, it is also about building community. And yeah, and I mean, I think that's Substack in a nutshell. And, and people are, I just saw um, a TV show that has, it's with mentioned Substack. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Based on a true story, it's the new Cali Cuoco show. Oh. It's like, oh, Substack, Substack has arrived. <laughs> it's in the popular culture. Sarah, I think Alexandra Alter, uh, the the publishing reporter for the time, actually wrote about us because it was being done on Substack, and she was very interested. Yeah how we were going to go about this and how we were skipping publishing houses, going around and going straight to Substack. Uh, a lot of her interviews started with that. And why not publishing? Why Substack? And how does it work? She was fascinated uh, with this new platform. And uh, they're keeping their eye on us. A lot of people in the publishing world are watching what we're doing. We're hearing from agents uh-huh. and editors, and uh, people are interested. They want us to succeed, as some people in publishing don't want us to succeed. It's so true. And I think there's something I've noticed is, you know, you, if you look to my office, they're not just books in a neat, you know, neatly lined up. You know, yeah. there's books everywhere. Right. And there are some people who don't like that. I mean, it's shockingly don't like physical books, but they read a ton. There are a lot of people who want or don't have space right. or it's expensive or whatever, what have you. And, you know, if you look, ebook sales are very high. So when you release a hardcover book, you release the ebook and the audio and then the paperback comes out a year later. But ebook sales are extremely high. And so also you couple that with, you know, what E. Jean always remind, reminds us that it wasn't just back in Dickens' day in the late 19th century, but Tom Wolfe, I had no idea Bonfire of the Vanities had been serialized in Rolling Stone. Yeah. And, you know, you think about that. I actually had the book because everyone was reading it in New York. So, like, I think what you probably know, Sarah, so much about serialization and the idea that um, you could go, you know, maybe people want hardcover books, but I think a lot of people want Kindles. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, so, you know, so many people don't know just how many writers serialize. So, Jen, for you, Faulkner serialized, and I forget which novel it was, but in the Saturday Evening Post. What? You're kidding. What? <laughs> it's Gerald serialized in the Saturday Evening he Post. Did? Um Agatha Christie. Wow. What? What? Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. And I was going to say with you two, with Mary and Jen, what's so interesting, I did a, you know, I kind of uh, did a post on this, but Agatha Christie, the serialization of it cuts at different points than the chapters in the novel, kind of like what you're doing. And I almost, I mean, my theory is that the editor at the Saturday Evening Post had a better sense of pacing and cliffhangers (laughs) than Agatha Christie, than the Queen of Mystery. Oh, that's (laughs) interesting. Wow, that's but so many. I mean, Richard Wright serialized Native wow. Son. I mean, it's wow. really. I know it's it's staggering. Edith Wharton what? serialized the House of Earth. Yeah, what House of Earth? I'm curious though. 
you know, you would think, you know, this is, I think people would think mistakenly that this would cannibalize other sales. I think it wets, wets the appetite uh, for future sales. That's what publishers that's need to think, I think. That's, that's why, why yeah. they did it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, they basically timed Agatha Christie's and then there were none to be serialized in October. The book was published in January. Perfect. Oh. And, of you know, so it was exactly what you're saying. And I, I, I totally agree that publishers should just see this as the great substack as the greatest thing ever and has so much potential. Right. For one thing, it gives a book a longer life. Yeah. And and also, I don't want to say ridiculous, but it's it's a <laughs> false assumption to make that because people read it on Substack, nobody else will ever read it if it's published in, in, as a physical book. Because there is a wide pool of readers who won't read it on Substack. And, you know, also it's it's more of an investment to become a Substack subscriber, which is why I think it is important to give them the extras and to make the community such a big part of it. Uh, you know, people who read the physical book won't get any of that. And and uh-huh. it just by the same token, you know, there's a much larger audience for movies than for books. So, right. you know, just because a book is a bestseller, if it's made out of made into a movie, that's millions of people who never read the book or never even heard of it. So it's kind of these concentric, ever widening circles of of potential readers. And as soon as a movie comes out, the book goes back on the bestseller list. Um, And so the same thing. And I think you're really hitting on something. And this goes back to what Jen was saying. Some people only want to read a book. They only want it in a single volume. So you're really hitting two different types of readers with a Substack serial and then publishing it as a single volume. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely the goal. If it becomes a series too, I mean, what publishers need to realize is that you know, for instance, I have, you know, serializing cured my new memoir and I have the prequel, which is pathological. I have a little for sale kind of image, you know, on the bottom. Whereas, you know, my publisher, HarperCollins, is kind of like washed their hands of me at this point, right? Like a book just, and not in a bad way, they were wonderful, but to them, like you've got three months, you know, the book comes out and you get tons of publicity and it's over. Right. And Substack allows for us to continue to give our books attention. So if you were to do a series of The Italian Lesson, you're just constantly selling the book for it. And just as a one slight detour, Sarah, and, and I, 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 this is something that always bothers me, that backlist is really important. and It's become less important. And that's why I'm going to separately invite you. I, I have a podcast. You guys are going to love me called Booked Up. And yeah. I want, I've been wanting to have you on to talk about Cured. So we'll do that on another date. That would be fantastic. Is that smart? And then you can talk about your, I'm really interested in more, knowing more about serialization me and too. you're not, you're being very polite by not giving <laughs> us a lecture because I know you know way more than we do. Um, and that will be fun to talk about. Yeah. I promise Substack I wouldn't do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, so it's great to hear that you're thinking of other novels, um, that backstory, ser- you know, um, that that is basically kind of a home now for you. Do you have ideas of what the next novel will be? Yeah, we all do. Um, and in fact, I, you know, I'm, I, I think this book definitely has the potential for becoming a series. And I'm, I'm sort of developing the certain characters that way. Um, but, uh, you know, our, one of our taglines is, what's a little romance among frets? Well, the next time it might be, what's a little, and the word romance is struck through, 
mystery among friends or what have you. So it's not, it's just not, it's not just this book that could become a series. It's that we might write a mystery and and then the next person writing, taking, you know, the helm will be Eugene or it'll be Jen. And we, if, if this works out the way we want to, maybe we could have two things going at the same time. Who knows? But, you know, that's another reason that I think people should kind of want to jump in because this is a long-term project. And I, I think we all have so many ideas and we, I mean, I can think of five books that I'd like to write off the top of my head. And I'm sure <laughs> the same is true uh, for Jen and Eugene. And to have uh, the support system in place is is kind of cool. Thank you so much for being here and for just for what you're doing. I mean, I feel like what you're you're really bringing serialization into the mainstream and it's been knocking at the door for so long. I mean, for about the last six years or so, if not, you know, longer, but it had a kind of dead zone for a while. And it's just great what you're doing because you're going to open up doors for a lot of writers. So thank you so, so much. That's so good to hear. I'm just writing down what you just said, bringing serialization (laughs) into the mainstream. Love it, Sarah. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is so, so wonderful. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you for listening to The Active Voice. You can find The Italian Lesson at backstoryserial.substack.com. That's B-A-C-K-S-T-O-R-Y-S-E-R-I-A-L dot substack dot com. And you can listen to more episodes of this podcast on read.substack.com. That's R-E-A-D dot substack dot com.